Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Hi, welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm your host, Celine Williams, and today I'm here with Jesse Berger, who is a former financial services professional with over a decade of experience working with Canada's leading financial institutions, including roles in retail banking, investment, advisory, management consulting, and market research an MBA, a certified blockchain professional, and he recently authored a lively and timely book titled Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin. Thanks for joining me, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me, Celine. It's great to be here. I'm excited to get into this conversation. Um, One, because I'm curious about your journey as an entrepreneur, and I got to see the book on this screen, and it's real cool. Um, But also because I think people have a lot of questions about Bitcoin, myself included. So I think this will be really super interesting. So with that said, I'd love to start with you kind of telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you're at now, including writing this, this very cool book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, my background was in financial services, uh, working in retail banking at Royal Bank. I worked at a full service, full, bleh, full service brokerage firm called Macquarie Private Wealth on Bay Street for three years. After that, I went to get my MBA, and actually one of the highlights of doing that was I, I competed in an investment-themed case competition sponsored by The Economist magazine, where uh, Ryerson, which was where I went to school, competed against, uh, it was over 25 schools from around the world, and my team, we ended up winning uh, the, the entire case, both in terms of the judges deeming us first place, but also we produced a video and essay that was online on the Economist website and we won the popular choice as judged by visitors to the website. So that was sort of a cool highlight um, from my time doing that. Uh, Worked in management consulting. I, I, again, sort of worked for a role bank this time as a contractor um, for um, for a financial services consulting company downtown before subsequently moving to a Uh, a company called Verde Group, which is sort of a a smaller uh, market research focused consulting company. They are in Corktown in uh, downtown Toronto. And so I did that for two years and I managed the entire global market outreach program for Sun Life while I was there. And during, basically during that time, I got exposed to the, we'll call it the financial markets of, you know, blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin, all of that. But my actual roots and interest in Bitcoin specifically date back to 2007 when I I had started working basically, you know, at the bottom rung on the front lines of the financial services industry and the global financial crisis hit. And I, you know, my my education and understanding of economics was, was rocked to a certain degree and I started relearning and, and basically reteaching myself economics through a different lens. And, and what I, when I say that, what I'm referring to is uh, what's called the Austrian School of Economics, which is effectively a, a different perspective for, for viewing and understanding economics. Um, and it's different from what is predominantly taught in um, you know, our major academic institutions. So understanding it from that lens, I started really learning about what money is, how it works. I, I asked myself the question, what is money? And that's a question that I think people seldom really give thorough consideration. And it's something that's, especially it's becoming more pronounced every day these days, but it's something that's very, very important and something that we should all be keenly aware of and try to try our best to learn about. So 
me writing this book ended up being a culmination of a whole bunch of different experiences. I love that. I am going to ask a really basic question for those who, like me, might not know a lot about this. When you say, you know, you talk about cryptocurrency, you mentioned blockchain, obviously your book is about Bitcoin. Can you kind of define what those are for people listening? Because I think we hear a lot about them in the media or dropped, but I don't think a lot of people I know, at least, really don't understand it. Like they're, they're not clear on what the differences or similarities or if there's a category or what it is. So this is actually a really great question. I'm actually very glad you asked this. Bitcoin is, you know, people like to refer to it as sort of the original cryptocurrency and you have these other quote cryptos, whether it's, I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but there's other sort of currencies that are out there that are trying to replicate certain aspects of Bitcoin in the sense that they are trying to funnel trust and value into this um, distributed ledger, if we want to stick with that. Um, but Bitcoin is different from all of the others. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, you know, we can slowly go into that during our conversation. But in my mind, I very distinctly separate Bitcoin from crypto, which is sort of this much more risky speculative market, whereas Bitcoin is very much more established and firm and resolute in what it's trying to achieve and what its system, its network actually accomplishes, whereas the, these other quote cryptos are maybe a little more vague, maybe a little harder to define. Um, and then blockchain, people often confuse blockchain as like the thing in, in this whole space. Blockchain is one component of Bitcoin, but it is not all there is. Not, you know, it's, not, it's not the be all and end all. It's not a panacea the way we often project it to be if you read headlines of business newspapers and things. Um, blockchain is effectively just a, a, a shared database. You could think of it almost like Google Docs where different people contribute to it and everyone can see everyone else's edits to it. The difference between a blockchain and something like Bitcoin is Bitcoin is open and permissionless. So everyone and anyone, no matter who you are, where you are, can participate. And the system is completely open so that everyone is effectively reinforcing and defending the network. Whereas with something like blockchain, you can have it as a closed system where only certain actors are able to access it. And perhaps it is centralized in the sense that, okay, only certain managers or people have authorities or powers to edit or change things. Whereas with Bitcoin, everyone has access to everything. There is no restriction. And the way that it's designed, and again, I, I, I maybe sound, I'm sounding a little vague and getting off track, but the way that Bitcoin is designed is that it is self-reinforcing so that even if bad actors do try to attack it, it is so incredibly difficult that it basically, it can't happen at this point. And that's not the same for blockchain where someone could just decide, okay, I want to edit the way or change the way this is working. Interesting. So that's a lot at once. I know. <laughs> no, 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 it's, I'm not technically oriented. So I'm going to ask some questions that might be very basic. Is there, so is Bitcoin, I'm going to use the term open source and I'm going to use the term decentralized and you can correct me if those things are, are wrong. But is that kind of the the one of the selling points about of Bitcoin? 
or have I totally misinterpreted what you said? No, those are important aspects of it. Open source meaning anyone, anywhere can A, download the software, B, run the software, C, propose changes to the software, D, run their own changes to the software, even if it doesn't, even if it isn't in line with the rest of the network. However, if you do run changes that are not in line with the network, you may end up being excluded from the network, which defeats the point. Um, So that's the open source part. And decentralized simply means that everyone can maintain a copy and run the program, right? So whether I have a copy of the Bitcoin ledger, which is all of the transactions that have taken dating back to its inception, I could have a, a complete history on my desktop. And then I could also have the program itself, which is how you are generating more transactions in the ledger running. And everyone has a copy of that software. So it is decentralized in the sense that everyone has it. So there's no one place to go to to shut it down. But yes, those, those are two, you know, important aspects of Bitcoin for sure. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to take it back to the book for a second. What made you decide to write a book about Bitcoin? Like what was the, what is it that either you find so fascinating about it or you thought people really need to get this or understand this in a way that's not out there currently? And I recognize there's probably not a ton of books on Bitcoins at, Bitcoin at this point, but like what was your interest in it and drive to to put this out in the world? Yeah, so, so my motivation, it stemmed initially from that, that Austrian economic viewpoint where, okay, wh- when you understand sort of economics and money a little differently, you start to understand that money, you know, you could think of it like a technology. It has qualities and characteristics. And all of our lives, all of our parents' lives, most of our grandparents' lives, we, we've sort of grown up with money as this assumption that's just in the background. We don't actually think about how do we make money better? And then also, what are the ramifications of money, right? So based on the current system, based on its characteristics and properties, how does that affect you know, our business life, our investing life? How does that affect the way that we grow together as, as an economy and as a society? Money is, is like the soil for you know, the tree of society, right? If you have very nutrient-rich, watered soil that, you know, receives sunlight, you're going to grow this big, beautiful tree with robust, you know, branches and leaves that come back season after season. But if the soil is barren, if it doesn't get water, if it doesn't get sunlight, that tree is going to decay and die. Um, and so my under, because I had this understanding of, oh, money is something with qualities. It's not just about the quantity, how much money we have. It's something that has qualities. I wanted to try to explain that and then, and, and sorry, so again, my understanding that that phenomenon existed of the relationship between money and society dates back to 2007. Bitcoin came out in 2009, um, but I didn't really sink my teeth into it until 2017 when I actually tried transacting with it for the first time. And that was a big like light bulb moment for me when you actually send a transaction on the network and then you have these nerves of, oh my God, did did the money actually arrive at the other end because it has to go through this decentralized, as we were talking about, network that is not dependent on, yep, the bank just clicked, check and signed off on it. It really hammers home um, the value of owning money that you know it's, it's place in the greater network, right? We... Today, we chase money. You know, we're all working. We're on this hamster wheel chasing money, money, money. 
and we always need more because everything's getting more expensive, more expensive, more expensive. We don't have to do things that way. Like there is an alternative. Um, we don't have to have an inflation-based society. We could have a deflationary society where when you earn money and then save it, that money that you saved can actually grow in purchasing power. Like that is an actual thing that that was possible, but we didn't have the tool for it until Bitcoin. So that a lot of that started to click home for me starting in 2017, rolling into 2019 when I eventually decided to write the book. And basically I decided to write the book, you know, because I wanted to explain a lot of what I just said to you right now, but also to really help shine a light on some of the faults in our current system, because, you know, bluntly, frankly speaking, there are a lot of faults. It causes a lot of harm that can be hard to quantify and discuss at times. Um, and so I wanted to try to really make all, all of these things a little easier to see and understand. So I'm so, I have so many questions now. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm sure I can't, I don't even understand scratching the surface of the issues that there are with our current system. And I can totally get that there are way more than I even could possibly begin to understand. And so the thing I'm, one of the things I'm curious about is, I guess, how, what is the difference with Bitcoin? Why is it the opportunity that you see that can change some of these things that can move us away from inflation towards deflation that can allow you to, you know, sort of grow your money in that, in a different way. So when I think about money and economics and how it all interacts, I'm, I'm actively thinking about like, what is the goal of money and a monetary system that, that is, a very key component of all of this. Like, like what are we accomplishing? And that's again, so. And I think a question not a lot of people ask. So I think it's a, I think it's a great starting point. Yeah. So, so that's the starting point. So I'll, I'll give you, um, you know, a couple of points to, to try to maybe highlight some of those, those defects that we were mentioning. When we, you know, before we had money, we had barter, right? Barter is I'm going to trade you five apples and you're going to give me six chickens, whatever. You know, we're constantly doing all of these calculations. What is item A worth versus item B? And then now that I have item A because I gave up my item B, how do I then exchange that for item C? So you're doing these calculations in your right with barter and it gets very tedious and confusing and you have no common language for talking value to different actors who have different skills or produce different things. So money, the idea of money is that you are creating this common basis for commerce that allows us to all check the same scorecard for evaluating value. Now, the thing that Bitcoin does that is successful is that that scorecard was set in stone the, the minute the system went live online. Everyone knew from the minute it was born that there are only going to be 21 million coins and that they are going to be issued on this predetermined schedule. And there is a real world cost to bringing them into existence. Mining, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to go into all the details of that just now, but mining is a costly process. And, and that's a good thing because Money can't just be created for free by one person and, and someone else doesn't have that same privilege. So by having a, f a fair system that anyone can participate in, anyone can transact in, you have this very level playing field 
and it makes it very easy to identify value, which makes trading much easier. Conversely, in our current system, every time we print money or change the interest rate, we don't know what's going to happen until it happens. So there's a lot of uncertainty in that. And that confuses these price signals, right? We don't know what something is really worth because the measuring stick keeps changing. An inch isn't an inch anymore. An inch is now a mile. Whereas with Bitcoin, an inch is an inch is an inch. So you're always measuring using the same uh, measuring tape. So that's, you know, for one, that, that's one of the very large and very significant advantages um, that Bitcoin has over, over what's called fiat currency, which is currency that is by, by diktat. Um, that is, you know, this group in their small office that decides, you know what, today we need $100 trillion to save the economy. And, you know, my sort of answer to that is, well, how do you know it's 100? How do you know it's not 90 trillion or billion? How do you know it's not 110 billion? Why is 2% the perfect inflation rate? Why not 1.75%? Um, how do you know that all of the actions or, the, or that this number or this target is going to perfectly satisfy every single actor in the economy who has very different preferences and needs at any given time. That's, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, basically. I, I want to switch gears in a second, but I do want to ask this first, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, it was, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to get the year right, but when there was a Bitcoin crash, there were lots of people that lost millions of dollars. We've all read the news story about that person who invested and lost, made millions of dollars and got out of it and was happy and lost it all. And I think that a lot of people have a misconception and a fear of something like Bitcoin because they read those, they, they read those stories. That's one point in time. And then they don't know enough about, you know, the in-between. And I guess my question is for someone who is listening to this and going, I know someone who lost all kinds of money in Bitcoin. I read that news story and it seems very risky. What would you say to them besides get your book, which we'll obviously link in the show notes because they definitely do that. But besides like read the book, is there anything that you would say as a starting point? Yeah, I'll, I'll start by saying this. Bitcoin is different, right? It, it is not the money that we are accustomed to. There's, there's no escaping that. And that's, uh, we, we call that a feature, not a bug, right? That, that is, in, it is intentionally different. And one of the differences, and I keep saying one of, because there's, there's always meant there's so many of them. One of the differences is that you are personally responsible for your Bitcoins. There is no insurance. There is no bank. There's no administrator. If you send a transaction that goes wrong, if you store it with an untrustworthy third party, you, there is no one else to blame, unfortunately. And that's a reality of, of Bitcoin and a reality of a system that encourage, encourages self-responsibility among its users. So to get up and running with Bitcoin, and, and another issue with this is that because Bitcoin is decentralized, you know, it's, it's not like if I want to learn about, we mentioned Royal Bank earlier, so I'll say Royal Bank. If I want to learn about Royal Bank, I go to rbc.com or rbcroyalbank.com, whatever their website is, and I can get all the information about their different products and services. If I want to learn about Bitcoin, there is no one-stop shop for that. You have to sort of actively source it and test your theories or, or find someone who you think is trustworthy that you know who's been in it before. And 
that is a challenge with Bitcoin. There, there is no escaping that. That is a challenge of this system that we, as and when I say we, I mean me and, and sort of the people that I know and, and the community that I'm a part of in Bitcoin, we have a responsibility now to try to teach people not just the benefits of Bitcoin as a, as a monetary system, but how to be responsible if you are going to participate in the system. It is a hurdle. There's no getting around it. But it's very important because Bitcoin, I heard someone recently say, Bitcoin is, a, is sort of a teacher unto itself. It, it teaches a lot of lessons in the way that its network operates. Um, and self-responsibility, being responsible for your actions is one of the things it teaches. Um, and just to maybe talk a little bit to the flip side of that, having you know, something like a bank that can administer, oh, I screwed up, I made this, I, made this tra- I sent a wire to the wrong person, I, I sent a transaction to the wrong thing, whatever, I need to reverse it. There are costs to having an, an administrator that are hidden, like we're maybe not hidden, but they are more significant than maybe we give them credit for. You know, we're paying hefty fees to banks because they are constantly administering these, you know, errors among the other things they're doing. You know, that can take a toll and it can also lead to people being sloppy, which is irresponsible, right? Oh, I'm just going to send this transaction. Ooh, it went to the wrong place. I'll just email, they'll fix it. Well, now you're creating inefficiencies and bloat, and that's something that Bitcoin actively avoids. It insists on you take full responsibility for everything that you do. And so, yes, we've had, very regrettably, exchanges that have been hacked or uh, scam investment schemes, and that sucks. There's no, you know, again, there's no getting around that, but A, that's, that's not Bitcoin's fault. You trusted someone to hold on to your money. You made that decision and you have to own that decision. You know, it sucks to tell people that because I know people have lost a lot of money. And I, I mean, I shouldn't say I'm telling people that. It sucks to have gone through that. I, I personally have lost money in, in this as well. It sort of, for me, ended up being a cost of a lesson that I've now learned. Um, and the best we can do now is, okay, let's learn from these, teach these so that we don't make those same mistakes going forward so that we can be better for it going forward. That's how we learn and grow, right? You're an entrepreneur. You learn, people talk about you learn by failing sometimes. That's how we get better. When we take out, you know, at, and I'm going to veer off a little bit here to the fiat system. When we bail out losing organizations, we're saying, you know, oh, there's no failure and we can just, there's no end to the cost of your failure. We'll just, we'll just keep paying the cost of your failure. There's a moral hazard in that that is very problematic. And again, Bitcoin, because it is so ardent in you take responsibility for your actions, it can be that soil that creates a, you know, a more self-responsible, uh, resilient type of community in society. So there's two things that popped into my my head. One of the things that you said that I think is really important is that it's not Bitcoin's fault. It's not the system's fault. And I think, you know, I would guess that a lot people have a lot of fear around that because we are so used to being able to blame the system. We're so used to having, you know, it it is a bank's fault. It is the system's fault, or at least we feel that way. And there's much more room to blame the system. And, you know, by saying it's not Bitcoin's fault, I think that is super important as a mindset shift because it's an entirely different way of thinking about this. I, I, as you said that, as you brought up that point, I want to read. So my, my book, I have a lot of quotes that sort of run the gamut, whether it's in the entertainment world, philosophy, politics, cryptographers, you name it. I, I have quotes from all different people from all, all different um, realms. So one of the ones that you just remind me of was, quote, 
people often represent the weakest link in the security chain and are chronically responsible for the failure of security systems, end quote. So that's by Bruce Schneer, who is a cryptographer. Yeah, when you look at different hacks, regard, not even Bitcoin, just PlayStation or whatever, you know, they lost customer data or credit card information. A lot of that ends up being humans implementing systems that are flawed. It's not, you know, software executes. That's all software does. You program it, it responds. It, it doesn't have a choice. It, it cannot choose to either do something or not do something. It does what it's programmed to do. So it's on the person programming it to make sure they're, they're doing it right. Um, and that's, again, sort of a lesson that Bitcoin teaches. Yeah. And, and the other thing that came to mind, I appreciate you saying that. The other thing that came to mind was that th- this is just, it's a, there's risk in everything. And it's just a different kind of risk. And I think for people who read the stories and hear, you know, the bad news and had a friend who lost everything and whatever the case may be, it's that they don't understand this risk as much as they're used to the risk of the sort of the fiat system as you, is that what, did I get it right? The fiat system, right? They get that. Everyone gets that. We grew up with it. We're used to it. We, we assume that because we're familiar with it, there's less risk. There, it's not necessarily that there's less risk. It's just that we've accepted that as the risk that we're comfortable with. Right, exactly. So the risks and rewards of Bitcoin are very different than what we are accustomed to. And it does take a little bit of a perspective change to try to wrap. You have to be you know, open to trying to wrap your head around it because it is so different. But in my view, all of the risks over time have gotten less and less and the, well, I don't want to say the potential rewards have gotten high. I, you know, that's, that's a personal bias and I, I don't want to, I guess, go into the financial side of it I, too much. Um, Cause I could go on about that. Um, but over time as the software, as the program matures, as user experience and the, the companies that are growing up around Bitcoin mature and figure out how best to serve their customers, it becomes easier and easier to, to use with less and less risk implied. And we're, and we're seeing that, you know, day by day. Yeah, that, I, I, I appreciate that. That makes sense. So I want to talk about your book a little bit. First of all, I think it's amazing that you wrote a book because I know that the actual writing process is quite an endeavor. And I'm curious, as a, you know, someone with a background in finance, I'm guessing you probably, you know, 10 years ago, weren't thinking, I'm going to write a book one day as the thing that I spend my time doing. Um, I'm very comfortable being wrong about that. Um, but what was that experience like? And, and how do you feel now that it's done? I'll, I'll go back 18 months ago. I didn't see myself writing a book. I had no idea that I would be Better. writing a book. Yeah. What, it's funny. What, what ended up happening was, so I had left my job. I was doing this uh, managing the market research program for Sun Life at, at, at Verde Group. And I knew I needed to, to be in Bitcoin. So I had a lot of different industries and education that I've had. And so I was focused on, there's the money side of it. There's the governance side. There's uh, you know, freedom and, and sovereignty. There's the technology and innovation. Then there is also my big value add, which is the storytelling and framing the arguments and adding context to everything. That was something I had picked up a couple years earlier or, or had really started to tune into that, that, you know, storytelling is a very powerful thing if, if you can employ it correctly. And it's very tricky at times, but 
I realized that, you know, Bitcoin, there are Bitcoin books out there and I've learned a great deal from, from the other, because there are some sensational books out there, but I wanted to tell it in a way that was very friendly, very approachable. I have like 15 or 20 pages of whether it's full page images and a couple graphs and mental models and things just to make it seem Again, that, that very friendly is, is a good word for, for what this book is. Um, and then also, because it was a PowerPoint, it started when you do a PowerPoint, you're typically making like one argument per slide. I kept that in the book where every single page is its own argument. And then I'm very slowly and meticulously building the arguments one on top of the other so that as you read through and start to step back and zoom out, you're now getting this clearer picture of, oh, this is what Bitcoin is. This is how it came into being and why it came into being and why it seems to matter to so many people. So it, yeah, it all just came together, basically. I love that 18 months ago, you were like, I'm not ever going to write a book. <laughs> no, I, later, you're like, well, I have a book. I always thought I was a decent writer, but never that I could write an actual book. Like that was, that was a very lofty thing that I thought I could never attain. And here we are. I think that's phenomenal. And, and it sounds like a really key piece of this for you is that it's, I'm going to use the term bite-sized ticket. I don't mean that in, an, in any kind of negative way. That's a great way. That's a great way to describe it. But that it, it really is bite-sized. So it is, you know, you can consume it in a reasonable way where it's not overwhelming. We were talking about some books prior to hitting record and I was saying a lot of them seem, and not Bitcoin specific, but people are terrified to talk about money and finances it's like a dirty little secret for people. And so they try and read these books and they go out and find them. And a lot of them are really, you know, basic and simple or they're tomes that are dry and hard to consume. And it sounds like you very intentionally created something that is none of those things. I, I tried to be extremely straightforward and as frank as I could be with the audience. And I showed you, I'll, I'll put it on video, maybe audio listeners won't see. So this is the cover of the book. It was, I'll say, very meticulously designed with, by me and my designer. I just want to say for anyone who is not seeing this, there is a wizard on the front of this book, which is an amazing image. Please continue. What I want to point out is actually not the front of the book, but the back. All it is is three words. What is money? That is the essence of you know what I'm trying to convey. I, I Someone in in... Uh, the Bitcoin community recently said that the question, what is money, is the rabbit that you chase down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I think that is a, a brilliant quote. And I also think that we don't ask ourselves that question. Most, most people don't ask ourselves that question because this is just the way things are. And, it's, and it is supremely important. It is the most powerful tool you know, on the planet, we all use money every day. We, we, money is, is a language of sorts. It's a way that we communicate economic knowledge and the way that we exchange value and ideas and products and services. And we need the best money to be able to have the best products and services and knowledge. That's what it comes down to. For my part, my understanding after, you know, again, I, I, I asked that question, what is money 13 years ago to myself? And it's sort of haunted me ever since. But now I feel like, okay, this is, this is my attempt at, and I say attempt very intentionally because there's no perfect answer to this. I don't know that any of this is right or wrong, but this is my attempt at providing an answer and my attempt to get you to think about some things. I, I 
I tell you I'm blunt and I'm frank in the book. And I also try to, in a way, ask questions to the reader to make you think about, oh, it, is this what a good monetary system can or should be? Like, I, I want you to be actively involved, you, the reader, to be actively involved and thinking along with the book. Because at the end of the day, no one is going to take care of your money but you. You, you can trust your money to the bank. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with Canadian banks as a place to keep, you know, thousands of dollars or whatever. But the gatekeepers that determine the qualities of money, those are the entities, and, and I'm typically referring to central banks here. Those are the entities that we really need to question, you know, how are their policies affecting us? Are they really affecting us for better or are they maybe not doing us as many favors as we'd like to think? I think the people who are listening or watching this are going to start to think about money differently and start to ask themselves different questions. And I think that that is incredibly powerful. It is. Yeah, it is. It is. Like I said, it is sort of the, the supreme tool for all, all of our interactions, which is our combined knowledge right? Which, which is our, our combined output. So we, we need to make sure that we are using the best money if we're going to have the best outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Before we wrap this up, I always like to give the guest a chance to repeat anything or emphasize something they want to emphasize or add anything that maybe we didn't get to that they're like, it's really important that your listeners know this. Yeah, I, I could certainly start ranting for hours when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, I'll just say that bear in mind that only you can take care of yourself. Only you are, are responsible truly at the end of the day. Um, if you are concerned about your savings and your earnings, it's up to you to help yourself. You know, we in the Bitcoin community are, are out here trying to create resources and spread knowledge and awareness because we think it's so, like so very important. Um, and you know, we're here, we all, you know, we'll, we'll do everything we can. I'm not here to say, you know, go out and buy Bitcoin. It's going to make you rich. Like that, that is not what this is about. It's about making the world a better place. It's very hard to wrap your head around why that is the case, but, but that is truly the goal. Um, and I've done my best to explain that argument in the most approachable, friendly, fun, insightful, meaningful, impactful way that I, that I, that I possibly can. Um, in the book. So if, if you're at all curious about Bitcoin, I've, I've covered a wide variety of topics in the book. Um, and I think even if, again, you don't have to finish it and be like, oh, I need to go buy Bitcoin, but you can at least be informed about what it is, why it's here and why so many people are, are getting more and more passionate about it. You know, we can't underemphasize the importance of information and education on things like this, especially from an unbiased source. You might you might be a fan of Bitcoin, but it's not like you're, you know, getting paid to promote Bitcoin in some way. And that's a really important thing, right? Is a lot of times we take our advice from financial advisors who are paid by a bank to give us specific advice. And this is a really good way of getting information that's unbiased. So it's funny you say that. I was having a conversation yesterday where we were chatting about how, if this was with another Bitcoin or how Bitcoin just, it compels people to contribute right? Like selling a book, I, I am not going to get rich selling a book. That's just not going to happen. I, I was keenly aware of that going into this, but I knew that I had to contribute because I know that the output, the, the, the product that I would put out would help someone. 
And if it helps out someone, then I've done something good for the world. And that, you know, that matters. And, you know, saying that Bitcoin is good for the world to the average listener, if they hear me say that, you go, oh, who is this crackpot talking? I promise you there is a very strong argument for that. I will happily point you to a million and one resources if you'd like to explore those aside from my book, although I certainly encourage you to go buy the book or check out the book. Um, but there are lots of great free resources available and I'm happy to point listeners in the direction of any of them if they want. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that. And, and I do want to note that people can check your book out online. It's magicbitcoinbook.com, which is a great URL. Um, and there will be links to Jesse's Twitter and LinkedIn, um, his medium. You can connect with him. And, and I'm sure he has tons of those free resources listed in, in all the different places that you can find him and uh, connect with him offline, because I think this is a really interesting start to a conversation. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know what, I, I don't have like a resources page on my website or anything. However, again, there, there are a lot of great resources out there. I can point you to five different websites if, if you're out there and you want to start exploring. Just, just send me an email. My email's on the website or, or on Twitter, you name it, whatever means you want to contact me by. I hope you get hundreds of emails from this. <laughs> <laughs> me too. It's, it's, fun. it's fun helping people open their minds to this stuff. It's very fulfilling. I appreciate your enthusiasm about it and your willingness to answer my very basic questions because I, I, I know you talk to a lot of Bitcoin people. So it's super valuable for our listeners on behalf of them and on behalf of Canada's podcast. Thank you for joining me today and for having this conversation. I think it is timely and valuable. Thank you so much for having me. This was great.